blackscholarspublishing.com that uh, we should get our own. Once we have our own, uh, we're respected for the fact that we can create our own. And uh, that's equality right there. How can you not love that song? Shout out to Jaden Smith. Um, and this is coming right on Father's Day uh, that I am recording this. And I just want to give a shout out to all of the fathers out there. Uh, my own dad. You know, often I feel like as black men in education, you know, we get the short end of the stick. We get criticized for not doing this, not doing that. They want us to do more. They want us to do more. But I want to challenge any black male educator out there, especially after you listen to this conversation between I and William Vischer, an excellent educator who, um, through Facebook, I've known for years so it's amazing how technology connects people regardless of their geographical location. But I want to challenge all black educators out there to look at your students as your actual kids. Think about it. You got 25 kids in your class. Or if you're an administrator, you got, you know, 700, 1,000 kids in your school, in your building, under your care you know, Prentice Locos. We are the parent while the kids are with us. We are responsible for them. And so I'm going to take it upon myself to look at every kid I have, regardless of the color of their skin, as my kid. And it'll be amazing to see the connections that are built, the level of rigor, the level of expectations and questioning and instructional design and effective instruction that you will give to those kids. So, again, happy Father's Day. You guys are listening to the Black Scholars Podcast. The Black Scholars Podcast is a community for black educators. I am your host, Leonard Andre Wilson Jr. I love this show already. This is episode four, again, featuring William Vischer, an African-American male educator. African-American male educators, there's less than 1% in this country of us. We are severely underrepresented. And so I hope you guys enjoy this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed episode two with Sierra and episode three with Ariel, both very dope, spirited women leaders in their classroom and actually actually Ariel will be outside of the classroom as a dean of students so I'm proud of her shout out to Ariel but really pay attention to this interview as me and William discuss classroom management and connecting with students and improving behavior and focusing on academics and maintaining high expectations for all students regardless of their gender, regardless of their behavior issues, regardless of things we can't control outside of the classroom. Shout out to Akila and the good people at Edge Entity. Promo code is Black Scholars. Also, if you go to Black Scholars Publishing and also uh, Facebook, the Facebook group, Black Scholars uh, Podcast. So fb.com forward slash Black Scholars Podcast. I've got new merchandise coming very, very soon. I've got Black Scholars shirts that you guys have seen me post on Instagram at Black Scholars, the Black Scholars Podcast. And uh, I'm going to make those available for you guys. I appreciate the support, the love, subscribe, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. We are everywhere. And this is the beginning. This is the genesis. So join me now. 
watch us grow, reach out, collaborate. Uh, you can contact me on Instagram again, the Black Scholars Podcast, or you can email me at the Black Scholars Podcast at gmail.com. You guys are gifted. You guys are talented. You guys have a blessing. The kids need you. The community needs you. William, what grade and subject do you currently teach? I currently teach fifth grade math and science. Okay. And have you always taught fifth grade math and science? No. Uh, when I first uh, entered education, uh, I taught third grade for four years. And then I taught fifth grade for several years. Then I did some adjunct uh, college teaching for a few semesters. Uh, then I moved to Nashville and did, um, let's see, I guess it was third and fourth grade. And then I did sixth grade for about five years um, in Murfreesboro. So I've been around for a bit. I've done some early childhood, some elementary. Um, I've worked in middle and high schools, but I wasn't certified at the time. Gotcha. So that's, gotcha. that's where I am now. Okay. And um, are you currently in Murfreesboro? I am currently in Chattanooga. In Chattanooga. Okay. So you've been moving around a lot. I have. I'm uh, ex-military. Okay. So I'm used to moving around and I kind of get antsy, I guess, after four or five years. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I like moving around. I enjoy traveling and meeting new people. And, and being an educator kind of affords you that opportunity. Definitely. So, yeah. Okay. So you said you were former military. What actually got you into education as a profession? Well, after I got out of the military, I went home where I came back home, which is here in Chattanooga and worked for an insurance company for a while. Uh, and uh, then I decided after a few years to move to Los Angeles, which I did. Uh, I also do uh, some writing and acting. And a friend of mine and I, actually a cousin, uh, decided that we didn't want to get on in years and not have explored uh, all of the opportunities. So we sold all our worldly belongings uh, and went out to Los Angeles. While I was out there, uh, I started working for a school uh, and really got bitten by the bug. Uh, started working at a private school and then just decided to go back to college for that. Because I've always liked reading and writing. Uh, uh, I like school. I'm, I'm that guy. I've always done fairly well in school. Um, so back in the, I guess it would have been the 90s, 90, maybe one, 92. Okay. was my first job at a school as an assistant. Then I decided to go to college. Eventually, I came back here and went to UTC, and uh, and it just kind of went on from there. Okay. And what's the age uh, range that your kids are in, your students? This year? Uh, yeah, this past year. Overall. Oh, no, this past year. This past school year, they were sixth graders. The okay. ones in the upcoming year will be fifth graders. Okay. And your sixth graders are, what, 11, maybe 12? Yeah, 11, 12. 12. Okay. Maybe 10, depending on when they started school, but around the 11 and 12 range. Okay. And what I know about that age and that grade is that those kids can be extremely antsy. Um, sixth grade. Yes. Um, now, are you at a middle school or elementary? I'm at an elementary school now. Okay, okay. And actually, the school that I worked at in Murfreesboro, even though it was sixth grade, it was still an elementary school. Yeah, see, that was my experience. I actually went to elementary school up to sixth grade, and then I crossed mm -hmm. over into middle school at seventh grade, which socially put me lower on the uh, hierarchy there because um, everyone had already made friends during sixth grade. Well, I was in elementary school, so when I got there in seventh grade, I was uh, trying to play catch up in terms of forming friendships. But thankfully, it worked out for the most part. But um, my middle school that I work at, we actually have sixth, seventh and eighth grade. Um, and as the gifted teacher there for reading language arts, I actually have one sixth grade class, one seventh grade class and one eighth grade class. And so the huge disparity I have noticed with sixth grade versus seventh grade is that sixth grade. They are extremely antsy. They want to move around. The pacing has to pick up. 
Um, they just have mm-hmm. so much energy or maybe it's their metabolism. I'm not sure. But do you notice that with those kids that the pacing needs to pick up in order to keep all of those kids engaged? Absolutely. Absolutely. That is, I find that to be true with most classes, but you're, you're right. Uh, I think the thing that starts creeping in in sixth grade is a little bit more awareness of their uh, sexuality and uh, actually generally toward the end of sixth grade is when we really start having issues with, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, and let's do this and let's do that. Uh, but when I was growing up, just as it was with you, uh, I went to seventh grade, no, up through sixth grade and then seventh and eighth grade were junior high school. Okay. And I went to ninth through 12th grade. Um, so I, I think sixth graders by and large belong in elementary school. There's usually a yeah. handful that are pretty, but by, I mean, they still like pajama day. They do. You know what I mean? Yeah, they do. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. I totally agree with that. Yeah. I do think that sixth graders should still be in elementary school. Um, cause there's just a huge disparity between sixth and seventh grade. Um, at least that's what I've seen. It sounds like that's what you've seen as well, too. So um, so we talked about pacing, but um, what we actually want to focus on today uh, for listeners is classroom management. Um, so I just want to know, like, you know, what what are some of the strategies that, you know, you use? What are the things that you really focus on those details that I guess your average educator would wouldn't pay attention to? Um, but somebody who is, you know, good or great or going from good to great, you know, we pay attention to all of the details, especially when it comes to classroom management. So I just want you to speak on that. What, what are some of the strategies you use and focus on? Okay. Um, before I jump into that, let me say a couple of things. The first thing I'd like to speak to or address is philosophy. Everybody has a philosophy of life of everything, whether we know it or not. Um, my philosophy <laughs> of, of classroom management and teaching is that uh, this is my classroom and I'm in charge here. You know, I'm not a dictator, I'm not uh, uncaring or unfeeling, but this is my classroom. And they are here, um, I hate you. I'm going to use a lot of words, probably a lot of rhetoric that I don't care for, but in the interest of time and in the interest of just kind of understanding, I'll say it just to make sure that I'm the one in charge. Do you know what I mean? Sure. But I also like, pardon? Sure. Yeah. And I like to let kids, I'm a big proponent of they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Definitely. So, um, uh, I'm fond of the Bernie Mac not Bernie Mac, Kings of Comedy um, (laughs) approach. And what I mean by that is this. A lot of times teachers, and and it doesn't matter what color. It used to. I don't think it does anymore because they're so young. A lot of times teachers will say, I hope my kids don't misbehave. Whereas my philosophy is, I wish they would. (laughs) Do something. You know what I mean? And that's, I think when you have that philosophy and that mindset, you come into the room and kids know it. Kids are very intuitive and very smart. Very smart. And another uh, component of my, I guess, classroom management um, oeuvre is find the biggest, um, find the one who's going to create the most issues for you. Mm-hmm. You know, if you take care of the core person, usually the other ones will say, okay, I'm not going to try anything. So you either have to win that person, whatever that means to you, or you have to establish dominance. Look here, dude, I'm in charge in this, and I don't know why I said dude, but they're mostly guys. Oh, no, I call, uh, I call all I'm kids gonna, dude. <laughs> you <laughs> call all kids dude. I got you. Um, and so it's a matter of finding who that person is. Who's the leader in this classroom? And it's usually the worst, and I don't like using that word either, uh, or the most spirited, or the most bored, uh, any number of things. So uh, having a personal philosophy, you can't go into the room and say, man, I hope I get a good class. Man, I hope they behave. No, this is my class. I'm large and in charge. I have to be, or nothing good can happen in this room. So philosophy and letting them know that you care 
One of the first things that I do in the opening weeks of school is I divide my class up into, you know, equal groups of four or five students, and I invite them to come back and have lunch with me during that first week before we really get anything going. Sure. Just to kind of get to know them. You know, this is who I am. Ask me any questions. This is my philosophy of school and of class. You know, we need to be, you know, just kind of lay it out. And then I do that. I also, uh, during the school year, uh, I bring my class back to the uh, classroom for lunch fairly often. Well, more than most teachers. Okay. Usually once a week, I'll bring the class back for a couple of reasons. One, they like it. Two, they don't get in trouble. You know, because every time you go back as a middle school teacher is he did this, they did that, they were too loud. So I do that to help the people in the cafeteria, to help the students. And I usually don't have enough time to do anything anyway. I know a lot of teachers don't like to do that. But that's my time. Um, right. But um, I like to do that. I like to have them come back. I like to relate to them that way. Sometimes I'll bring all the girls back. Sometimes I'll bring all the boys back, you know, just to just to make it, um, they're humans, right. you know, it's classroom management. You're really managing people, right. you know? And so I try to uh, let them know that I think of them as humans. They have a right to have a bad day. Uh, but just make sure that you're always courteous and kind and thoughtful and that kind of thing. So those things I think go really far, maintaining your own philosophy, making sure that, you know, you do things that let them know that you care. Uh, I'm very big on answering almost all questions. You know, students have a lot of questions, even though you may stand up and give detailed directions, there's always going to be three or four that, you know, I didn't quite get it. So mm -hmm. after I'm explaining something, I'll usually let those that either don't understand or need additional help come back to my table, you know, those kidney shaped tables or I just believe in answering the question, even during tests. You know, I don't know what this word is. Oh, that's uh, whatever, you know. And once kids know that you're there to help them, you know, I'm here to help you. Right. I'm not here to make you look bad. So those are some initial things that I do. Um, and that usually gets off to a good start. Awesome. Awesome. So let me ask you, um, <clears throat> excuse me, and there's a lot to unpack there. Um, but one thing I was thinking about was what's the most difficult uh, kid that you've had in all of your years of teaching? And um, like, what was that situation? And like, how did you actually respond? Because what I see with teachers who don't have good classroom management is usually they don't know what to do with kind of like you pinpointed who's going to be the quote unquote worst kid that you know, mm -hmm. the others are going to feed off of. And some teachers, literally, they have no idea how to um, deal with those kids. So I was just curious on, like, what's one kid that's in your mind um, and how'd you, how'd you handle that? Well, uh, <laughs> the uh, most challenging student that I've ever had was two or three years ago. Okay. Uh, sixth grade. Believe it or not, a young lady. I can believe it. She had, she had, uh, really major issues though. I mean, really, ma I hadn't put out a student out of my class probably 10 years. Wow. I just decided I'm not doing it. Right. I'm, and I'm sure not putting any black heads out, especially black boys. I go, you know what? We'll steel cage death match in here but I'm not sending you to the office. I'm not putting you out in the hall. I see that too much. The problem is you're in the hall. Anyway, this girl was just truculent. I tried everything. I tried to let her know how much I cared. She just, um, I think she had some real, um, not only psychological issues, uh, she had a tremendously horrific home life. Um, she and her mother went out into the community and beat up another mother-daughter team. Uh, there was a rumor that uh, there was some uh, hanky-panky between she and her father when she stayed with him. He stayed in another city. So she definitely uh, 
had a lot of issues. She wanted to she wanted to transition. She wanted to start using the boys' bathroom. She got wind that that was that was when that was real big too. If you remember the bathroom thing, right? You know, and she just declared she was going to be this, and I'm going to the bathroom. Um, so eventually, I started a paper trail. You know, of course, because and you know, I started working with the behavior specialist, and I called in the counselor. I mean, I, I started getting support. Um, the principal, I'm, well, we were in a meeting with her mother. I'm trying to be real careful. And um, it was me, the, the girl, her mom, the principal, and the assistant principal. And she was just going off. I mean, off, off, like nuclear off. And she stood there, and I watched her. She said, y'all just getting on my nerve. And she pointed to the principal and said, you're going to make me hit you. Wow. So this is the kind of girl. Yeah, she would stand there in front of grown people. So all the little tricks I did and taking her to lunch, she enjoyed it for the time, but it was not going to happen. So eventually um, they said, well, we're going to move her out of your room because maybe it's a personality thing because I'm pretty stern. Like, I don't know. That's not going to happen in here. And uh, they were going to move her into another teacher's classroom, but she didn't like the teacher's classroom that she was being moved into. So she left. Like, she walked. I'm out. And she eventually ended up going to um, an alternative school, and she beat up the SRO. Well, they those are the words they used, but apparently she punched or hit or whatever the SRO, and they put her out of the alternative school. <laughs> wow. <clears throat> yeah, so I did not feel bad about, <clears throat> about that L. Right. I considered her and that relationship an L. Right, right. Uh, in the economy. But there was... I don't know that there was anything else I could have done. She had issues that I could not deal with, and I'm not equipped. Um, so, yeah, that was the toughest. Other than that, uh, I've had tough students, but I've usually found a way to to figure it out. Sure. Yeah. Um, and I think a big part of classroom management, as you alluded to, is building those relationships. It seems like you do a great job of doing that, having lunch with the kids and getting to actually know them. Are there any other strategies that you'd recommend that educators follow and use to, you know, really help mitigate those potential behavior problems just by students knowing that you care, they know a little bit about you, and you know about them as well, too? Uh, yes. Uh Getting all sides of a story. If someone comes and reports something to you, you listen, you hear, and say, okay, do you mind me getting the other person? As much as possible, I always have all parties in when there is an issue. Um, and that, I think, shows fairness and that I will listen to both sides. And I'll say, well, now, what, is what that person said the truth? Now, is that what they said the truth? Okay, then how did... Tell me where the discrepancy is, you know, because I think a lot of teachers are like, look, just get on out of here. Uh, another thing is I really try very hard not to embarrass students. Uh, I will almost always take them outside of the classroom or can you come here for a second to my desk? Now, can you let's talk about this? I did it in my early years, uh, full disclosure. But one, what I learned was kids just don't like to be embarrassed. Nobody likes to be embarrassed. And so I think that that goes a long way as well. Just to say, and I don't like let them embarrass each other. Uh, one other component is uh, I like having they call them morning meetings in some schools, but I try to have a some places they call it Socratic seminaring, you know, where you sit around in a circle, uh, and you just kind of debrief. Let's talk about what's going on. You know, don't don't reveal anything. You know, it's too personal. But let's talk about how class is going. Let's talk about how school is. What do I need to do? How can I help y'all be a better learner? What do I need to stop doing in here? Is it too cold? Is it too hot? You know, they're there eight hours a day, yeah. you know? Um, and it's their their class and their world too. Definitely. So I, I try to, as much as possible, uh, have those kind of meetings. And I try not to let crap roll downhill. You know, when the principal comes in or come, you know, we need these reports and we need all this and we need all that. And sometimes teachers will start the, y'all sit down and, God, 
And I just try not to let stuff roll downhill. And I, I think that I think that's helpful. You uh, brought up a very interesting strategy, and I haven't seen too many educators actually do this. Um, and I'm not sure if you call it the Socratic seminar yourself, but I, I know exactly what you were referring to or like those morning meetings. Mm -hmm. When you get a chance to powwow mm -hmm. with your kids, how long in duration is that usually and how frequently? Un unfortunately, it's not very frequently. I, I really make a concerted effort to do one once a week, even as if even if it is a brief one. When we have special days, you know, oh, we're not going to. Well, I was departmentalized okay. and on days that were half days or we're not going to move today or there's an alternate schedule. Then I will uh, say, you know, what, we're going to let's take a little bit longer time. You know, we'll take 15 minutes or 30 minutes. I actually like those days. You usually aren't bothered by uh, administrators walking in and out. So it kind of even though they say they want you to do it when they see you sitting around like that, you can just kind of kind of feel that, why aren't they working? But also, um, when we were departmentalized at my last school, sometimes I would actually um, give up my homeroom's uh, academic subject time. Like I taught science to everybody. Sure. And sometimes if my class was a little bit farther ahead, which they typically tended to be because I had them all the time in the morning and you know what I mean? So sometimes I would say, you know what, we're not going to do science today. Let's, let's, let's just talk about this or there's a bunch going on or there's a whole bunch of stuff going on in the bathroom or I don't know what's happening with lunch. Or So sometimes I would actually make that. And unfortunately, that's a brave decision because a lot of teachers were like, what if they come in and you're not doing this or you're not doing literacy? And I, I, sometimes I just have to say, you know, this was important. Their emotional intelligence is super important. It's huge. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. You are so it's, it's flexible. It really is. I try to do it all the time. I do something once a week, even if it says, hey, you guys, just want y'all to know I really care about y'all. Uh, if there's anything going on, if anybody's being bullied, you know, and sometimes I'll catch a kid by themselves and go, hey, man, how's it going? You know, is everything going OK? You know, we, we talked about that kid or and I also give them the uh, option to tell me who they do and don't want to sit near. <clears throat> I do a histogram every year. I hope that's the right term. After about two or three months of school, I will give them a three by five card. Okay. And I'll say number one, one to three. And I'll say by number one, put somebody that you want to sit next to. The next one is put somebody down that if you can't sit next to them that you'd want to sit next to. For the third slot, I say, now put somebody you absolutely cannot or should not sit near. Now, this could be a friend, and you know you shouldn't next, sit next to them because you will get in trouble. It doesn't have to be somebody that you don't like. And I say, now, cover these up. These are confidential. I will never let anybody see these. I just want to get an idea so that the next time I rearrange the room, I will try to put you near or in a pod with people that you can work with. So that that has worked really well because you and you find out who everybody in the room hates. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's good data. That's a, a interesting way to um, not only collect data, but I never even thought about that. I'm a, I might have to put that in my classroom next year. I like that, man. It's good stuff. Yeah, and sometimes uh, I'll do it two or three times a year because sometimes they'll be want to be next to somebody in you know, September, and by February, it's like, mm, I'm kind of over him now. Yeah, those, um, especially if it's like of romantic interest at that age group, you know, uh, the joke at my school is basically that, you know, if a relationship is three weeks long, that's a long-term relationship in middle school for these kids because they don't need to be dating anyway. But, yeah, they're, they're very fickle. Well, let me say this since you said that. Okay. <laughs> Every year that I have taught, and I've always gotten questions, not blowback, but questions about it. Every single year that I've taught since 2001, I have separated my class by boys and girls. I either have them uh, boys on one side and girls on another, or if I have them in pods or groups of four, it's always a pod of boys or a pod of girls. Interesting. 
Yeah. And you said you've <laughs> you've gotten negative backlash on that? Well, I've had teachers ask why I do that. You know, like, why do you do that? Like, why, you know, what's the, why do you do that? Because nobody else does. Right. <laughs> and I said, well, I have a couple of, I have a, I have a philosophy behind that. Right. My reasoning is uh, I have found that when you do reading groups or any other kind of groups, when they're gender specific, there's less nonsense. Boys will read well or okay with other boys. You know, there's not a lot of, they're not trying to impress each other. Girls, same thing. There's usually a huge, as you know, uh, discrepancy between their levels. Right. And whenever you go, if you go to a private school, one, you have to pay a lot of money. They're usually all boy or all girl. Right. So my thinking is there's got to be something behind that. There has to be. Yeah. It can't just be sexual. There's got to be a learning. And I haven't researched that a, a lot or enough to know. Right. But I've oh, and when I've wanted to change back, like at the end of the year, like, OK, let's just mix it up. Nobody wants to. Neither the girls or the boys. They actually like that once they get used to that. Have you received so, any um, feedback from uh, your past administrators regarding that? Have they seen that like during the no. observation? Okay. Hmm. Oh, they see it. And yeah, oh, but they, you know what? That's really interesting that you asked that. None of them have. It's usually other teachers. They they've never asked. Hmm. Now let me say this. Sure. When they work in groups. They can be there. They're oftentimes like, okay, we're going to do a math thing or a science thing. Let's get in groups. I would like you can like, you can get in your own group. Now there they can. Okay. So it's not a you can never be with a girl. Or right. Person. It's not consistent. It's usually like for reading groups and okay. when they're at just seat work because they don't, you know. Yeah. Hmm. So uh, as far as your seating arrangement, since we are talking about classroom management. Um, you said, are the girls on one side, then the guys are on the other side? Is that? Sometimes. Most of the time, yes. Okay. But it doesn't always work out that way just because of the logistics of the room. Right. But typically they are on opposing sides of the room. But there's always bleed over. You know, sure. like one year I had, um, actually last year I had eight girls and like 15 boys. So I had three pods of boys and two of girls. So the, one of the boys' pod had to be kind of close to the girls. Right. But I knew who to put there. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> the exactly. guys who did well, nothing to do with girls. <laughs> and see, I'm thinking, how can I incorporate that into my own classroom? Um, mostly I teach girls. I don't have a lot of guys that I teach. Um, so yeah. I, I think, yeah, um, in the gifted class, I think I've got um, – I'm trying to think here. I might oh. have a total of four um, sixth graders who are going to seventh grade. Um, so seventh grade next year. And then the seventh graders who are going to eighth grade, I think I've got another four um, in a class of about 20, 20, actually 20 flat. So I've got 16 girls in each group uh, and I haven't met the new sixth graders yet. Um, so that'll be interesting to see that. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Hmm, that's interesting. I, I'm going to actually do some research on do you that. you have a lot of behavior issues in gifted? I would think not. No, no. Uh, I guess I'm blessed to be in that situation now, but I've dealt with them because I wasn't always in gifted, so I definitely have dealt with yeah. them. Yeah. So you don't have a you don't have a homeroom then? Is that correct? No, we don't have homeroom. Nope. Okay. It's, it's listed on the kids' report card but uh, in their schedule, but we don't actually ever go to homeroom. Um, we actually do have like a morning meeting, which is the entire school in the gymnasium. So okay. kids come in, they get breakfast, then they all meet in the gymnasium. And then it's pretty much, you know, Pledge of Allegiance and a uh, moment of silence. And uh, if there's any announcements, then we kind of mm -hmm. go through that, give them directions. And uh, then they move on to their first period of class. So, yeah, we actually don't meet in homeroom. Um, and even when okay. we pass out report cards or interim reports, we pass them out back in first period at the end of the day. Kids go back to first period. So, yeah. I'll tell you one other thing that I have done that I really like that that works well. Sure. Um, is uh, with regard to lining my students up. Okay. Uh, I always line them up in alphabetical order by last name. Okay. Now, let's say the first day of school, we get in line. I said, these, this is going to be your... This is it. This is this is your line order. Now, what I will do to make it fair, because they're like, well, I'm always going to 
the the lead person changes every day. Okay. For example, remember John Adams will be the line leader all day today. Tomorrow, John Adams goes to the back of the line, and Billy Bud is the line leader all day, everywhere we go. Then the next day, so that means that every 15 days, 18 days, 20 days, they know they're going to be, because they're always fighting. And so to me, that alleviates that. Okay, everybody line up. Okay, why are you pushing? Why are you running? You know where you're going to go. This is is how you line up. You're going to be next to the same person. Have I had people that couldn't stand next to each other? Yes. What do I do? We're going to be out of alphabetical order. You go back there. It's simple. You know what I mean? So that way, I think they know that I'm thinking about them. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I know y'all are going to worry about being the caboose or the this all the time, but that's not going to happen. Do we have to get in line when we go to Mr. Smith's class? Yes. Everywhere you go in this building, I don't care where it is, and I don't care if there's a substitute. Don't even ask the substitute. This is how you line up so that there's no jostling because they all do it. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) They all want to be next to their buddy. They all want to be in the front or whatever. This way, and I've even had kids that are like, I don't want to be the line leader. Yep, it's your turn. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. That's good. That's a good strategy. I like that. I like that. Um, question for you. Hypothetical scenario. Let me paint a picture. Okay. Um, pretend there's a brand new teacher who is going to be, uh, do you usually work with partners, like partner teachers based on we department? Do. Okay. So you you have a brand new partner teacher. And when I say brand new, I mean brand new to the profession uh, fresh out of college, you know, wet behind the ears, you know, she's coming with all of the different educational theories, but she doesn't really know how to apply them. She's having right. difficulty with classroom management. Kids aren't really paying attention, not really engaged. They're talking over her. She has no rules, no rules posted, no procedures fully established. What what would you recommend for this brand new teacher, your new partner teacher? And I'm going to sit down and talk to them. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm going to I'm going to ask a whole lot of questions first before okay. I start talking. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. I'll find out like what's your what's your philosophy? What do you think your role is? What do you think about discipline? Uh how were you disciplined? Maybe do you think that, you know, whatever. And and a lot of this obviously depends on gender and color and that kind of thing. But I would just find out their philosophy and just say, you know, first of all, you've got to have in your mind what you will and will not put up with. You've got to get something posted. You have to have some, well, they should at least have the school rules and guidelines. Be respectful, be responsible, be safe. You've got to have something that you go back to. And it really needs to be visual so you can go be respectful, be responsible. Mm -hmm. And I would say that they need to uh, pick the worst thing that they're dealing with right now and address that because they can't address everything. You know what I mean? What is what is this teacher there for? They're there to make sure that learning goes on. You got because I see teachers all the time just standing up talking and teaching and no one's listening. Yeah. I tell my kids. I can teach in an empty room. I'm a fantastic orator. I can do this in the empty room. But if y'all aren't looking and listening, that's not teaching. I don't know what it is, but teaching and learning is a loop. Definitely. But I also, you know, I don't, I don't even know why I have a teacher desk most of the time. I never sit at my desk. Same. I'm always walking around. When the when the when I'm up teaching, I walk around. So what do you think about that? Hey, what's going? You know, it's all about proximity. You know, That's and they and I would say, who is your biggest challenge? You gotta sit down with them and either 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 woo them or or get some help to get that under control because this right here is gonna ruin. They're in charge in your class. <laughs> You're not in charge of your class. They are. <laughs> and so I would just attack those first. They got to get their philosophy. They've got to find out what their one biggest issue is because a lot of times if you take care of the one biggest issue the other ones will take care of themselves definitely they got to find out where the big fires are yes either with the person or with their own how they've got their classroom set up like do you have people 
sitting next to each other that shouldn't be sitting next to each other. See, that's why, you know, I set up uh, a seating chart before they come, you know, and I know it's going to be boys and girls first. And I put them usually in alphabetical order first, you know, because I don't know anybody. And then as I, I have changed my classroom twice in a week, my kids come in and go, what? Yeah, I didn't care for that. That 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 other arrangement didn't work for me. If I see two people, I won't embarrass them. I won't call them out. I go, make a note, move that desk over there. I'll sit kids back to like they can't see each other. You have to be in control up here and then implement it. I don't have to embarrass them and say, move your desk over there. Well, the next morning they come in, why is my desk over here? Yeah. I feel like you'll learn better right there. I'm not even going to say. I'm not going to call them out like that. Now, if they want to know later, I might say, you know what, y'all just weren't really doing it, mm -hmm. you know, really working together. So, but again, it's a social thing and an academic thing. You know, they're there all day. They have bad days. They have diarrhea. They didn't get enough sleep. Their mom punched their dad or whatever, <laughs> you right. know, last night. So, and you have, you have to keep that in mind. Yeah, you brought up an interesting so I, point. Yeah. I have no reason for a teacher desk either. So I actually I've put students at my desk, you know, I've, or or I've turned I'm, it, or I've turned it into a uh, station. So like toward the I guess last thirty minutes of class, because how we have our mm -hmm. schedule set up, um, they get reading language arts for about forty five fifty minutes, and then they get another forty five fifty minutes. So the first forty five fifty minutes, you know, that's pretty much you know the standard curriculum, and then that second part is where we get a chance to start working in groups, start working on deficiencies, put the kids in stations, and I get a chance to work with them one-on-one. -on -one. So, uh, yeah, I, I'll actually turn that into a station, or I'll specifically, during that first period, have kids sitting uh, sitting there. Um, and that's usually to separate them, because, like you said, there might be a little bit too much talking that day before. I'm not going to embarrass you, but... No, I right. will change your seat and I'll change it in the drop of a hat without explanation, but I right. will explain afterwards. So, yeah, definitely. Um, right. And, I'm, and I, yeah, I have the eye, too. Definitely. Oh, yeah, that works you know, right. Yeah, like you said, proximity. Like, definitely. <laughs> they know my face is oh too well. Definitely. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of humor, you know. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I'm not real big on using the teacher's edition. So sometimes I will use a student book and give one of the kids a student edition. And they think that's the biggest thing in the world. Like, I've got the answers. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> now explain, how'd you arrive at that answer? Yeah. Yeah, what, what does that mean? What does all that mean that you just said? <laughs> exactly, exactly. That's cool. So it's just about getting into their head and, and remembering what it was like to be eight or 10 or whatever. And, you know, like I said, I, I just have not had, uh, sometimes I've had principals and counselors um, say that I'm too, that I've been too hard or too stern or too firm. Um, but uh, a lot of that is part of my personality and a lot of it is theatrics and drama. You know what I mean? Right. Just to kind of let them know, you know, and you, you gotta kind of mix it up a little bit, you know, so Definitely. yeah. All right, so let's switch it up. So, so great job with the classroom management um, strategies. I think that'll be very useful for anybody listening. Um, last question I want to ask you: As a black scholar yourself, okay, what do you think we need in the profession to improve it for all black educators? Um, especially, like you said, you know, being a African American male in the uh, in the profession. And um, the other actual uh, African-American male that works at my school, he he and I, we, we don't get along well, but we but we have no personal reason to not get along. But it's right. just it's something, you know, it's just something weird. And uh, I've extended the olive branch several times. So this past year probably was probably one of our better years um, since mm -hmm. we've worked together and we've worked together since 2014. Um, but yeah, it's just something like, you know, I've heard, you know, stuff he said about me and I'm like, why is he worried about me? Like, I've got nothing to do with him. Like I'm in my classroom teaching my butt off every single day. You know, it'd be nice if we could have some type of, you know, companionship or, you know, yeah. something, but you know, 
like I said, this yeah. I, I extended the olive branch, but you know, he's a little bit older than me, so you would think that he would want to, you know, I don't want to say mentor me, but you know, mm -hmm. you know, you think there'd be how does he? Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know exactly. I know he's in his forties and I'm thirty-four. Um, okay. so I'm probably about maybe six or seven years younger than him, um, at oh. least. So, you know, I would think that there would be some type of, you know, and I'm not really looking for a mentorship from him, but, you know, I hope that, right. you know, at least we would be able to talk, you know, academics, because he's actually a really talented educator. He recognizes that I'm a talented mm -hmm. educator, but yet, you know, we go to, you know, a professional development or a faculty meeting or something off campus. And, you know, we don't sit by each other. We don't really communicate much. It's just kind of, hey, hey, and then we just go about our business. So, you know, like you were saying, I don't know if it's a crabs in a bucket type mentality, but I'm not chasing after what he's got going for himself. I don't believe he's chasing after what I got going for myself. And so I don't see right. any reason for the divisiveness or any hard feelings. I mean, I, I don't have a problem with him. And if anybody asks me, I'll tell them he's a really good teacher. Like I've seen him teach before. I've, I've seen his data. I've, I've seen the kids. I've talked to the kids he's taught. We've had similar students and, you know, it's just unfortunate. Um, I wish it wasn't that way. I, I really do. Yeah. Um, I've run into that quite a lot. And, yeah. and, just and I'm not saying this for any other reason other than to give you context for what I'm going to say later sure. is that I have three college degrees. I have a bachelor's, a master's, and an EDS. Okay. I love school. Yeah. I love learning. I'm, I'm in. Right. <laughs> and a lot of people, I think teaching is a job. I wish I would just do that for do this for a job. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I people. And they mock me and they make fun of me sideways, like, oh, you want to know how to spell a word? Ask Fisher. Oh, you don't know what that word means? Ask him. Because I don't I don't change my vocabulary for people anymore. I used to. Used to, dumb, like, down, used to dump down for people? Know? Yep. I said, look, you're a teacher. You should know what obstreperous means. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, because I tell him, like, oh, he's just acting very obstreperous or truculent or they're not really... What does that mean? Why don't you know what that means? Yeah. Or, or, or at least be able to pick it up from context, right? Like you're a thinker, you're right. an educator, at least be able to pick it up, right? So Right. But I'm also I'm also uh, to give people some slack. I'm also a freelance writer. So words are my life. I I, uh, I like reading, I like writing. I run my own, yeah, let me get some uh Fisher Inc. Publishing. Yeah, Fisher Inc. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, promo. Yeah, on my yeah. own uh, freelance writing thing. So I like literacy and learning. And most teachers, it doesn't seem, it's a job. It's not, I'm trying to get people to be more educated and thoughtful and logical in their thinking processes. Because one thing I'm fond of telling my kids when they take the, the test, I said, folks, you're really taking five reading tests. You're not taking a reading and then a language and then the math and then the, you're going to be reading about math. You're going to yep. be reading about science. You're going to be reading about history and geography. So I, this, I like math and I like this stuff. Don't cut it. You got to read, read, read and learn how to decode these words. You got to learn these roots. It's five reading tests. Buckle up. <laughs> yeah. Literacy is huge. And if you look at the data of schools who've turned it around and the best performing or highest performing, they focused at first initially on literacy. And as their literacy improved, then regardless of the subject, the entire school improved because it's like, mm -hmm. oh, now the kids know how to decode, you know, these directions and these word problems or this graph or this data or this infographic because they know how to actually um, read. <laughs> they know how to comprehend. They know how to read. So. I'm glad you said that because I, I, one of the things that bothers me a lot of times, especially about younger teachers, is once a kid says, like, they read a sentence and go, oh, my gosh, you're reading. No, they're not. That's part of it. Right. They're decoding. Right. But reading is re reading is what does it say? Yeah. Comprehension is what does it mean? Right. I can read Spanish. Yeah. I can read French because I've taken those classes. Right. I could read a whole book, not know anything. That's what kids are doing. They can call words but they don't know what those words mean. That's vocabulary. Exactly. You know, it's a step, right. as you know. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, good point, man. Good point.
be happy to be teaching because we get summers off, winters off, spring break off. We earn it the first three weeks of school. And we use summer break as a cleanse from the stuff we went through the previous year. What else y'all need? A six-figure salary, four-day weekends, no more state testing, and smaller class sizes. My answer to everything now is it is what it is. Mr. Brown, how come you don't volunteer for nothing no more? It is what it is. Mr. Brown, why you always be late for meetings now? It is what it is. The boy gonna ask me, can I loan him some paper? I can loan you some advice. You gonna stay broke as long as you ain't bought your paper. I know they ain't having a fire drill on my conference period, but I hope it's just a drill. I shall not be moved. I shan't go anywhere. I'm just trying to understand how to keep understanding. So that's how y'all gonna act today. When I open my eyes, the first person I see, I'm a flunk. How you get off fifties? Cause you don't do no work in my room. His grades, they yearns. Mr. Brown, what you looking for? A way out, son, a way out. So um, is there a quote that you live by? Or do you have like a favorite quote um, related to education that you'd like to share with listeners? A favorite quote about education? Mm. Or just a quote? I, I guess it's, I guess it's that they don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. That's good. And that's, that's, that's education and that's life. Definitely. Um, you know, because like I said, I'm really good at what I do because I'm diligent. You know, I think about it at night. I go home and go, gosh, that kid didn't get it. What do I need to do? I ask other teachers. I'll ask a kid. You know what? They're not getting this. Can you explain what I just said to them? And they'll do it. I'll go, okay, yeah, that's good. Um, that's showing how much you care. Definitely. Not You can't be dismissive of kids. So I really like that one. I'm sure there's some other ones I can come up with, but I really, really believe in that one a lot. They don't care how much you know, right? Because I, I know a lot because I'm educated, but Definitely. they don't care. Definitely. They don't. But so, once I show them they care about them, they'll start to allow that process to take root. All right, that was good, really good. Um, so what about something you would recommend? Uh, a book, a podcast, a television show, a documentary, anything you would recommend for other educators listening? Any educator or black Any educators? Black educators. <laughs> um, I, I, I just got this one um, uh, and I'm starting to read it. Can we see it? Yeah. It's called uh, Teaching Reading to Black Adolescent Males. I've got that book. Closing you do? Yeah, my yeah, um I, I don't go and started reading it. So yeah. uh what I've seen so far I really like. Um I think that was a good one. Um I taught in Jackson, Tennessee for a year, and I don't know if you've been through Jackson before. Um, but mm -hmm. one of my former assistant principals, uh uh great she used to be a great math teacher and she stepped in the administration and she was like, you need to read this book. She was like, you're great at what you do, but I want you to take it to another level and reach this subgroup of kids who really need you. And she just gave me that book and I looked it up and it was like, it wasn't a cheap book. So I was grateful for it. I was like, thank you. Appreciate yeah. that. So yeah. 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 Then this must be serendipity. What can I say? Mamba out. Any last words you want to leave uh, black educators with? Words of wisdom? Yes, just uh, be passionate, be engaged, and we need, we need, and they need an extra measure of our flexibility and our kindness and our compassion. Be kind, be compassionate, be firm, be loving. But um, yeah, I, I think that's really just kind of it. You got to be super flexible and super passionate. It can't be, oh, I'm a teacher today. I, I just don't know how <laughs> a black community can survive with a lackadaisical attitude toward teaching and or black human beings. Definitely. So they have to be passionate, I think, about both and, and making sure that those get together because we're not going to we're not going to do well otherwise. So that would be my last thing. Be flexible, be kind and compassionate um, and just hang in there because we, we need there are more black students out there than there are other students or <laughs> students of color. Right. So that's what I would do. But thank you very much. I appreciate uh, 
Definitely. You having me on here, and maybe we can talk again some other time. Of course, and this, um, you know, this is one show, but again, you definitely have an open invitation. I'll definitely be reaching out. Let's stay in contact. Um, Absolutely. Class dismissed. Thank you for listening to the Black Scholars Podcast. For more information, go to blackscholarspublishing.com. You just gotta go. You will never know what you can ever be. If you never try, you will never see. Stayed in Africa, we ain't never leave. So the ones no slaves in our history. One no slave ships, one no misery.